Well, four weeks ago, I uh, started talking about how the decisions we make can greatly affect our future. And I said if there were a couple of decisions I hadn't made, I wouldn't be with you here today. And I also said I wouldn't, my wife wouldn't be here, my grandchildren wouldn't be here. My wife and grandchildren are not here today. But the story still goes on. And I said I want to give you three examples of decisions that I made and how they affected my life. I got through the first one and didn't have a chance to do the last two. So that's what I want to do this morning. We talk about decisions. A decision is something where we basically put our foot down and start heading in this direction. And how we make that decision and the decision we make can certainly alter the course of our life. You might say, well, it's not, it's just a little different, it's a little, but on the long run, it goes way out. We could be different places, different things, different situations. And the evil one doesn't want us to make decisions that are pleasing to the Lord. He wants to confuse us, he wants to distract us, and he wants us to make decisions that lead basically in his direction and into chaos. Now, I talked about what influences our decisions. We're told in scripture that if any man lacks wisdom, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and it shall be given to him liberally and without reproach. But it goes on to say, but he must ask in faith, he must ask in faith not wavering because if, if, if he doesn't ask in faith, he shouldn't think he will receive anything from the Lord because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Stability. What does stability mean? It means you can't stand up, you're nervous, your knees are shaking, you're fearful. And so I talked about what is the source of fear. And I mentioned that the greatest motivating force in the world today is not money, not sex, not power. The greatest motivating force in the world is fear. And the source of all fear is insecurity. The source of all fear is insecurity. And what is the source of insecurity? What causes insecurity? Well, what causes insecurity is we, in fact, have secured ourselves. We have trusted in, our, in something. We have looked to something to give us life that's not secure. And when that thing moves and that thing breaks, if that thing's threatened, we become fearful. And the second you and I experience fear, guess what happens? Our eyes go blind, our ears go deaf, and our mind goes crazy. Eyes go blind, ears go deaf, mind goes crazy. And when you and I are in fear, we cannot possibly make the decisions that are pleasing to the Lord and walk down the path that he has recreated us to walk in. So last time I shared one decision, the first decision, probably not the first, but a first big decision that God led me to make. As a single man, I was very happy. <laughs> uh, from the age of 22 to 28, I didn't date at all. I just felt I was going to live the rest of my life 
just with Jesus. No spouse, no problem, just Jesus. And I was challenged by this woman. She said, Rick, I think you're just afraid to get involved. And uh, I, you know, I prayed about that, and the Lord showed me, yes, you do have fear. You do have fear. And what was the source of my fear? My fear was I had a wonderful relationship with Jesus. I had a wonderful relationship with my Father. I had a wonderful relationship with the Holy Spirit. I was, I thought, complete. I didn't need that companionship. But you know what Father showed me? He showed me the source of my fear was I was securing myself in my singleness, in the way I had done life, and I was not securing myself in Him. Because I didn't see how I could fit another person into my relationship with Christ. That was fearful. <laughs> that was a source of fear. Because my security was in how I related to Him and not in Him and Him alone. So I won't go through the whole story again, but I will tell you what Father led me to do. He convicted me that this was something that I had to put into his hands. He did show me something from Scripture, that there are only three points, only one kind of love matters, and that's the kind that you find in Corinthians 13, which Robin read this morning. It's a fruit of the Spirit. The second thing he showed me was because it's a fruit of the Spirit, you can have it for basically millions of people. And the third thing he showed me was because you can have it, even though you can have it for millions of people, there's one particular person who God wants to love through you and through me with his spirit. So then I came to the conclusion that it was a lot easier in biblical times. If a man felt called to the ministry of marriage, he'd just go ask his father to bring him a wife. He'd bring him a wife. They'd get married. Corinthians 13, love would kick in, and they'd live happily ever after. Happily ever after. you believe that? Well, what Father had me do, so I said, you know, I think if I was ever going to take a woman out, I would ask her to marry me on the first date before I had any feelings or emotions for her, and I would trust there's no way she could ever say yes unless it was Father's perfect will for her and for me. Well, this is just a young man thinking, but I'll tell you what Father led me to do. I asked this woman out, asked, actually two up, two first, two women out, and they couldn't go over a period of several months, and I was so pleased they couldn't go. And then I finally asked the third one out because Father said, I want you to ask her. And she said she could go. So that week I prayed all week long about it, took her out, and I asked her to marry me. And, of course, she put her hand over her eyes and put her head down, and I walked out of the room, and I just said, Little Father, I delivered the pizza. I've done it. I've laid this thing down. I come back into the room. She's still sitting in the same position with her eyes over her head and over her face. I said, you don't need to tell me now. If I don't see you for 20 years and you walk into my office and say, Rick, I want to marry you, that day I will marry you as long as you don't do two things. As long as you never say no or marry someone else. So I had just given the Lord a, a blank check. Any day he wants me married, he can do it. So no longer am I having this discussion with Father. Well, I asked her, maybe we should go out again to get to know each other a little better. And she said, well, yeah, that'd be great. And uh, so the next night, she actually had a date with a friend of mine. So the next night, uh, I, I took her out. But when I took her home that night, the next morning when I woke up, Father had downloaded into me all these feelings for her. I had all these emotional, wonderful feelings for her. 
So it was very easy for me to spend time with her. But then, six weeks down the road, she says to me, Rick, you know, I really believe you're the man I'm supposed to marry, but I just don't have any feelings for you. She said, you know, you're like a brother. And I thought that the person I was going to marry, I would have feelings for. Uh, but she said, you know, I really believe you're the man, so in faith, I'm going to say yes. Well, I took her home. The next day, she woke up with all kind of feelings for me. She wanted to get married the next day. I wasn't ready to get married the next day, but from our first date to the day we got married was 12 weeks. And it's been 41 years, and I'm more in love with her today than I was then. But if I had not, if I had allowed that fear, that fear of being so close to somebody, that fear of bringing someone else into my relationship, I would have missed that. I would have missed I could have easily missed it. I could have easily missed it. So I had to first confess to Father, yes, I have secured myself in my singleness. I've secured myself in how I relate to you and not in you and you alone. And I laid it down by the grace of God. And then Father led me into a decision that has radically affected my life. Now I'm going to tell you the second decision. In 1992, myself and 35 people from my church in Dallas went to Moscow, Russia, and we did a one-week campaign where we went door-to-door. You could do it then. Perestroika had come in. The Soviet Union collapsed in December of 91, six months after the collapse of the Soviet Union. We went door-to-door, shared the gospel, gathered the people together at night in a theater center where we had a rock band, an Italian opera singer, and we'd share the gospel. That first week, 250 adults came to Christ. And it was the beginning of a church that was planted in Moscow. I go back to Dallas, Texas, and like the Holy Spirit says to me, who's going to follow up those 250 people? I don't know. Who's going to follow up those 250 people? I don't know. And then, only to my heart, he said, you're going to do that. So that was in July, actually 25 years ago, next, this month. Well, in September, I got on a plane and flew back to Moscow and hired an interpreter and started going door to door, following up those 250 people. Then in October, then I went back to Dallas after two weeks. In October, again, the Lord said, you need to go back. So in October of 92, I go back and continue to follow up these people. And one day I'm running along the Moscow River before the first snow, and this voice speaks to my mind. It says, Rick, you can never consider moving to this city. You can never consider moving to this city. Because if you do, your son Mark, who at that time was eight years old, your son Mark will get sick, and there's no medical care here. He will die. You can never consider moving to this city. And you know what I said? I said, you're right. I could never consider moving to this city. I ran a little further, and the Spirit of God asked me a question. He said, Rick, uh, whose son is Mark, yours or mine? Well, yours. And then I went on a little further, and he asked me another question. He said, well, Rick, if you were to move here, and Mark were to get sick, and Mark were to die... Who would he be better off with, you or me? Well, you. See, I didn't understand what was going on, but it's called the breaking of Rick. 
Because I was securing myself in Mark's security. And when his security was threatened, it caused me to become fearful. The eyes go blind, the ears go deaf, the mind goes crazy. And I said, I could never move to this city. So I had to confess to Father. I'm, I've secured myself in my son's security. I, I repent of that. I turn from that. I want about all my security to be in you. And then in the future, if Mark's security is threatened, I will not, by the grace of God, respond out of fear, but I will respond out of power and of love and of a soundness of mind. Okay. The next night, I'm in Moscow. I'm in the Belgrade Hotel, praying out over the city. I love to pray over cities. I've got this unusual spiritual gift of an intercessor. When I was 24 years old, I'd pray for every congressman and senator by name every day. More unusual than that, I liked it. So it's a crazy gift. So I'm praying out over the city, and this voice is speaking to my mind. It says, Rick, you can never bring Kathy and those three teenage daughters to this city where every elevator is a bathroom and where there's no food in the store and there's crime on the streets. You can never consider bringing Kathy and your daughters to this city. You know what I said? I said, you're right. I could never consider bringing Kathy and Laura Jane and Mary Ann to this city. And for at least an hour, I just shook my head and said, I could never consider bringing them to this city. And then just as clear as any audible voice, but to my mind, the Spirit of God asked me a question. <clears throat> he said, Rick, did you forget that my son considered it a great privilege to leave a nicer place than Dallas, Texas to do my will? <laughs> oh, yes, Father, I forgot. Okay, that didn't mean that I was going, but again, it's the breaking of Rick. The Lord showed me that I was securing myself in Kathy and the girl's security, and when that's threatened, it causes me to become fearful, and I would have made a decision, no, I could never consider bringing them to this city. And I had to repent of that, turn from that, and say, Father, I want my security to be in you and you alone. And then if their security is threatened in the future, I can, by the grace of God, respond out of power and of love and a sound mind. We did move to Moscow in February of 1993. Changed my whole life. <laughs> I've been at sea for 25 years. It's amazing. Okay, 1999. <clears throat> I'm on a vision trip to China. I'm, the church in Moscow was doing so well, and I trained this young guy, this young Russian guy, and the less I did, the better it got. And uh, so I was thinking, well, maybe Father's calling me to some other place. So this friend of mine in Dallas, pastor of the church that sponsored me, uh, said, Rick, would you like to meet me in Beijing in March of 99? He was going to do a conference in Japan and wanted to come to China. And uh, I thought, well, maybe that's Father talking to me. So I went back to Moscow and I prayed every day that that trip would not happen unless it was my Father's will. Because I didn't want to spend two weeks with this guy in China, or a week with this guy in China. So in December, I called him, and I said, you still want to go? And he said, yes, but I'd like to bring these four other guys. Is that okay? I said, sure. So in March of 1999, I arrive in this city, 
the five guys. Before I came, the night before I came, I met with the guy who was head of security of the American embassy in Moscow. His wife was a friend of Kathy's. In fact, his wife started a Bible study that turned into the BICF, which is the large international church in the city. 25 years ago, Pam Indahl was more than 25 years ago. He shared with me how he lived in, Mos in Beijing and how he had lost 20% of his lung capacity the two years he was here. And he told me of all these devices I would need to buy to break cold particles in the air. <laughs> so I just listened to him. So I stayed here a week with these guys. We met um, with 17 local pastors from rural areas. All had been imprisoned. Only two had not been tortured. Then we met with a bunch of guys that were in different ministries here. One was Tom Lauder, one was Ben Sparkman, different guys who led different ministries in the city, kind of tell me what they were doing, see if there's anything that connected with me, John Davis. And then everybody left but me because I had decided before I came to stay two weeks so I could pray. Well, the day after everybody leaves, I'm in this car, and at that time, <clears throat> in 99, all the cars were taxis and, and the people were on bikes. There was very little civilian transportation. So I'm looking out the window at all these young people and old people on bikes, and it's yellow, and my lungs are on fire. You know, you talk about pollution in the city today, there's no pollution in the city today compared to 1999. My lungs are on fire. And this voice speaks to my mind. It says, Rick, you can never consider moving to this city and breathing this air. <laughs> you know what I said? You're right. I could never consider moving to this city and breathing this air. But this time, instead of 30 minutes later, like two minutes later, three minutes later, the Spirit of God asked me a question. He says, Rick, did you forget that my son considered it a great privilege to leave a nicer place than Moscow to do my will? I said, oh, Father, I forgot. What he showed me is I was securing myself in my fitness. I love to run marathons. I love to run outside. And this air was going to threaten my fitness. And when that fitness was threatened, my eyes went blind, my ears went deaf, my mind went crazy. I said, I could never move to this city. I had to repent. I had to tell the Lord. I, in fact, was securing myself in my fitness and not in you and you alone. And then, if my fitness is later threatened, I will respond out of power and of love and of sound mind. Okay. <clears throat> Two years later, it's 2003, we have this kind of epidemic that hits the city called SARS. SARS is actually the beginning of the Chinese automobile industry, private passenger automobile industry, because everybody was riding public transportation or riding a bicycle. But when SARS came, everybody, nobody wanted to be out around other people. So people started buying cars and getting in their car and staying in their car, and that's, that, that gave birth to this, what we have now. Before, 15% were private passenger, 85% were taxis, and there were 85,000 taxis in this city. 
in 2000 and 2001, and now you've got taxis are 15% and private passengers are more than that, more than 85%. Okay, so during this time, my Kathy's in the United States, Mark and I, Mark is now 16 years old. He was eight years old when we moved to Moscow. He's now 16. We go eat some wonderful Chinese food at this little hole-in-the-wall restaurant, but some of the best food I ever ate. But the next day, <laughs> I was sick. And Mark was sick, very sick. Okay, he got better the next day, but I continued to be sick for three days. And on the fourth day, I got up, and I discovered I had developed the syndrome that happens like in one out of 300,000 cases of Tomaine. I got up, and my right leg did not work. My right leg didn't work. But you'll never believe my response. I stood up, tried to stand up, and my right leg didn't work. And my first response was, oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for all those years I had good health. Thank you, Father, for all those marathons I run. Thank you, Father, thank you, Father, thank you, Father. And the Spirit of God said to me, Rick, if you hadn't gotten your fitness, securing yourself in your fitness, if you hadn't turned that to me three years ago, you'd be having a very different response today. And you know what? When we see something move and something break that one time we may have secured ourselves in, but we have repented of that, when we see that thing move and break and we don't move and break with it, you know what happens? It actually becomes a source of joy because we realize that we are free. We are free from being attacked by our circumstances. Now, a paraphrase on Matthew 6, Jesus says, in this world, everything moves, everything breaks. Everything moves, everything breaks but me. So do not, do not secure yourself in anything of this world because it all moves and it all breaks. Place all your security in me. I will never fail you nor forsake you. For where you secure yourself, there your heart will abide. And you know, brothers and sisters, my propensity for pain has become so small. My propensity for pain, my ability to handle pain has become so small that I do not want to secure myself in anything in this world where it all moves, it all breaks. You know, brothers and sisters, if you have children, if you live long enough, you'll see your spouse die. If you live long enough, you'll see your children die. If you live long enough, you'll see everybody you know die. And none of us get out of here alive. It all moves, it all breaks. And actually, when you secure yourself, and I secure myself in that which is insecure, when it moves and when it breaks and we get into this fear mode and we go, eyes go blind, ears go deaf, mind goes crazy, I would have never been standing in this church today had I not by the grace of God repented of those things I was abiding in other than him. And the greatest command in scripture is abide in me. Abide in me. Because to abide in him is to love him, to secure ourselves in him with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, all our mind. 
and it's followed by the greatest promise in Scripture, and I will abide in you. So, brothers and sisters, if you want to know what you're abiding in, if you woke up this morning worrying about something, if you woke up this morning fearful of something happening or something not happening, that is what you and I are abiding in. And the only reason you or I are fearful is because that thing we're abiding in is a variable beyond our control and we're drawing life. We're drawing encouragement from it. And there's only one legitimate source of life and encouragement. That's Christ and Christ alone. It's not your husband, it's not your wife, it's not your children, it's not your job, it's not your future, it's not your retirement plan, it's not the government, it's not a president or a king. They all move, they all break. The only thing that doesn't break, the only thing that truly feeds us is the bread of life. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are tired of worrying, being fearful, and I will give you rest. He's the rock that doesn't move. He is worthy of our trust. Now to close, I want to change the word to trust to thrust. Thrust. Thrust means to throw yourself without reservation into his arms. Jesus, without reservation, thrust himself into hell without grace. He thrust himself into hell without grace to save every one of us in this room. And he says, with the same lack of reservation that I threw myself into hell without grace, will you throw yourself into my arms, which are nothing but love and grace? Will you do that? Can you do that? Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you have given us a place to go. Thank you that when we're there, there is no fear. There's no worry. There's no trouble. Father, we repent of idols. We repent of things that are very, very good, but are not you. And when they move and break, we move and break with them. Give us the grace to secure ourselves only in you, that you might live your life through us. In the name of Jesus, amen.